My name is Keith Masterman, and I am Vice President with CI GAM's Advisor Consulting Tax, Retirement and Estate Planning Team. A recent study found that over half of Canadians do not have a will. Today, I want to discuss with you the ramifications of dying without a will or dying intestate. Although there are several disadvantages, I'm going to concentrate on the fact that you do not choose your beneficiaries. Your estate will be distributed according to a government scheme. The scheme is set out in provincial legislation, and what your loved ones will receive depends on the province where you resided. Consider the case of Jamie, who recently died without writing a will. Jamie married Jean 20 years ago. Jamie and Jean have two children, Ben, age 15, and Sarah, age 17. In addition, Jamie is the stepfather to Jean's daughter, Lynn. Lynn was only two years old when Jamie and Jean married, and he is the only father she's ever known. Jamie and Jean separated three years ago. About six months after the separation, Jamie moved in with Leanne. Although he and Jean were separated, at the time of his death they had not started divorce proceedings. But Jamie and Leanne intended to marry as soon as his divorce was finalized. Shortly prior to his death, Jamie and Leanne welcomed a new addition to the family, their son Louis. One last thing you should know about Jamie, he is active in his community, working with several local charities. All provinces provide a surviving spouse will inherit at least a portion of an intestate estate. However, what percentage of the estate the spouse will receive and who is recognized as a spouse depends on where the parties lived. British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, Quebec, Nunavut, and the Northwest Territories all recognize a common law partner as a spouse. In the other provinces, Manitoba, Ontario, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland and Labrador, and the Yukon, only a married survivor is recognized as a spouse. If Jamie and his family lived in Ontario, his spouse is entitled to the first $350,000 of his estate, called the preferential share. One third of the remaining estate will be paid to the spouse and the remaining two thirds will be divided amongst Jamie's children. But who does the law recognize as a spouse? Ontario's legislation defines spouse as two people who are legally married. In other words, a common law partner, such as Leanne, is not entitled to receive anything. Ontario law is currently going through a transition. Should a person who is separated but not divorced die prior to January 1st, 2022, without a will, their spouse is entitled to the spousal share of the estate. But should the person die after January 1st, the definition of a spouse is being amended and will not include a separated spouse. Separated spouse is defined in the Act to mean that the couple were separated for at least three years or had a valid separation agreement. So should Jamie die in 2021, Jean would be entitled to a share of his estate, whereas should he die after January 1st, 2022, she would be entitled to nothing. Under either scenario, his current partner, Leanne, is disinherited. What if Jamie and his family had lived in another province, for instance, British Columbia? British Columbia's legislation provides a different distribution scheme. It provides preferential share depending on whether all the children left by the deceased were also the children of his or her spouse. If so, the spouse is entitled to the first $300,000. If not, the preferential share is $150,000. One half of the remaining estate is paid to the spouse and one half to the deceased children. In British Columbia, spouse is defined as two persons who are married to each other or who have lived together in a marriage-like relationship for more than two years. In other words, it is possible that both Jean and Leanne could be spouses for inheritance purposes. British Columbia legislation provides that where there are two surviving spouses, they are to divide the spousal share as they agree, 
and if they cannot agree, as determined by the court. In addition to the various provincial schemes, the Federal Indian Act establishes a distinct distribution scheme, and the rights of a spouse are even more nebulous for First Nations people living on a reserve. The first $75,000 of an estate is transferred to the survivor, defined to include a spouse or a common-law partner, and the remainder is divided between the spouse and any children. However, the Act also contains a provision that states that where the minister is satisfied that any children of the deceased will not adequately be provided for, he may direct that all or any part of the estate that would otherwise go to the survivor shall go to the children. And that brings us to our second question. Who does the law recognize as Jamie's children? Is his stepdaughter Lynn considered his child? Well, in Ree Peters' estate, a 2015 Alberta decision, a single father of four daughters married for the second time. With his second wife, he had a son. His second wife never adopted her husband's daughters. However, she treated them as her own and always referred to them as her daughters. They were a family for 43 years when the husband died. A few years later, the mother died intestate. The four daughters argued that they should be regarded as children as they were raised by their stepmother, and in fact, she always said her five children would share equally. However, the court and intestacy legislation saw things differently. The law recognizes adopted or children by blood, but not stepchildren. Therefore, the son inherited the entire estate and his four sisters were left with nothing. In Jamie's case, that would mean that his stepdaughter, Lynn, who he raised for nearly 20 years, will not inherit a share of his estate. What happens to Jamie's other children, Ben, Sarah, and Louie? All three of them are minors and as such are unable, with minor exceptions, to receive funds directly. Someone will need to bring a court application to be named as guardian for each of the children. Further, each of the children will be entitled to his or her share when he or she reaches adulthood, which in most provinces is 18. Had Jamie written a will, he could have named a trustee of his choosing to act on behalf of the children and set out terms as to when and under what conditions any money held for them may be used. If he thought 18 was too young for a child to inherit, he could have directed the funds to remain under the trustee's control for a longer period. You might remember Jamie is, act, is an active volunteer within his community. For Jamie and thousands of people like him, a gift to a charity as part of their estate plan is of vital importance. Not only does it benefit an organization of personal significance, but it is also a way of demonstrating the importance of community to the next generation. A charitable gift as part of an estate plan also has important advantages from a tax perspective. The Income Tax Act permits the tax credits resulting from a charitable gift to be, to be applied as a personal tax credit, reducing tax payable on the deceased terminal tax return for the year of his death or the year preceding death, or can be carried forward for use in the estate. Also, an estate may donate publicly traded shares, ecologically sensitive land, or certified cultural property to a charity as opposed to cash. The Income Tax Act includes exemptions from capital gains tax where these types of capital property are donated. Not only will the estate receive the benefit of a donation tax credit, but will also mitigate tax arising from deemed capital gains realized on death. However, since Jamie died without a will, these advantages are lost, meaning more of the estate is paid in taxes and an organization of which he was proud does not merit. There are countless other pitfalls in, having, in not having a will, However, Jamie's story demonstrates the devastating effect intestacy can have. His story is not unique, but is a great reminder of the importance of a proper estate plan. Thank you. 
This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment.